Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This last long lockdown was a struggle for everyone, bringing isolation and loneliness to many. But imagine what it would be like if you were a student, living away from home, possibly for the very first time. There's no students' union open. There's no halls bar open. There are no communal areas open. There really was nowhere to go other than their bedrooms. Unable to make the most of their newfound freedom, with no face-to-face teaching and no social interaction to help them make friends, They've been confined to halls for months at a time. I mean, I have a close friend who had never touched drugs before coming to university and is now kind of picking up on a weekly or every other weekly basis. For many, drugs became a way to pass the time. But as lockdown lifts... Will this rise in student drug-taking have a more lasting impact? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why drugs on campus have reached an all-time high. A number of recent studies have shown that drug use amongst young people is increasing. That trend is reflected on campuses all over the country. The students... It's been a tough year. Many will tell you. It was definitely not what I had expected of my university experience. That's a student who we're calling Claire. She's just finished her first year at the University of Bristol. I think when I went in September, I think I had thought that things would open up by second term. So then obviously when I started to realise it wasn't, it was a massive kind of adapting to realising that probably my whole first year was going to be pretty much all in lockdown. And I was never going to have my freshest week. And I was never going to go to a club. I was never going to go to a lecture. I haven't met any of my lecturers for the whole of this year, which is very strange. Despite the limitations of the lockdown student experience, Claire and her fellow students have found ways to make the most of their first year at university. People have just worked out ways to have fun and just kind of experience university without doing the things that we would have normally done. There have been no lectures or tutorials on campus, no sports clubs or student societies, no nights out in the students' union bar or dancing at local clubs. Claire's first year 
has been spent confined to her university halls of residence, way out of town. So my halls is quite secluded from the main university and the main um, city. So it's kind of a bit of a little bubble in itself. That's left students to create their own university social life. For the most part, it feels a bit like COVID hasn't existed in our little bubble and people have kind of gone about things pretty normally and there's lots of parties going on and opportunities to meet people. I was very lucky that I have eight people in my flat and every single one of them is really amazing and I get on with very well. So I was lucky that I had that base because I think your people you live with has been very important this year and if you didn't like them, you would just struggle a bit. I understand that there's been a real explosion in terms of drugs within halls during this period. Before you went to university, had you sort of been around people using drugs? How much of a change was this? I definitely had. I went to a boarding school and there was some of that there. And then in my gap year, I would see some of that occasionally, sometimes on a night out. So I was definitely aware of what it looked like. But now at university, I I won't have a single night out or even like a single day without just seeing it, seeing drugs. I say night out in terms of I'm meaning a night where you're drinking inside the accommodations. And it's just is everywhere. It's very easily accessible for students, I think. Tell me about some of the things you're seeing on a daily basis. I mean, at the university that I'm at, I would say that probably ketamine is probably taken all the time. Originally, ketamine was used as a tranquilizer for animals, like horses. But back in the late 90s, it became popular as a party drug in UK clubs, And it's been around ever since. In 2014, it was reclassified as a Class B drug. So if you were caught in possession of it, you could get up to five years in prison, an unlimited fine or both. But lots of students still take the risk and regularly use ketamine, as Claire can testify. I don't flinch when I see it. And I wouldn't kind of think any less of someone if I saw them doing drugs because it's just very normal now. You have your drinking games in the evening and you get a bit drunk and then someone might then just be doing something at the end of the table. And that's just completely normal, really. One person who also noticed this trend is Megan Agnew, commissioning editor at the Sunday Times magazine. I started working on the story actually last year before lockdown because I had noticed the stats for youth drug taking were creeping up pretty much since 2013. And no one is really quite sure why. And then the pandemic hit and no one really knew what was going on with youth drug taking. Basically not much because most people were at home with their parents. And then in September, when the students went back to university, I decided to look into it again because... There were photos, those really memorable photos of students in their halls who were stuck inside in their kitchens and they were putting post-it notes on the windows saying, send cannabis, send booze. And there were all of these bottles stacked up on the windowsills. And then really sadly, there were three deaths from ketamine in Newcastle. And... 
I just thought that there must be something going on. What are all of these students doing if they can't go to nightclubs, they can't go to pubs, they can barely, a lot of them, even leave their rooms and it was easier for them to order drugs often than it was to order food from Sainsbury's or Tesco's. The student experience that Megan has painstakingly recorded is a far cry from her own days at university and, for that matter, from mine. There's no students' union open. There's no halls bar open. There are no communal areas open. And I think that's what I found most shocking and I hadn't really thought about deeply was that there really was nowhere to go other than their bedrooms. So if you're in catered halls, you are in your room and in the depths of lockdown, that is pretty much the only place that you can go or outside to exercise. They'd pick up their dinner in the evening and take it back to their room on a tray and their breakfast would be on the same tray for the next day. The ones who lived in catered halls would share a kitchen, but they weren't allowed to socialise with other flats. I think it was just very strange. They can't see other people. They don't see the general public. So they're existing in this quite strange, isolated pod of students shuffling around, being either hungover or pretty depressed. Comparatively, I think that they were expecting nightlife, flirtation, sex, music, very loud music, (laughs) late nights, taxi rides, shots in clubs, students' union bars and groups and sports matches and all of the things that came with it. And they had nothing. All they had was their bedrooms. And it wasn't just their social life that was stymied. Students weren't even able to attend lectures, which Megan believes would have given them at least some kind of outside supervision. Any sort of face-to-face interaction is really protective. So a job or school or lectures, because there is some sort of accountability and there's somebody seeing you and they can monitor you. Megan used the example of Fran, a student she wrote about in a recent article. So even if the lecturer wouldn't have seen that Fran or one of her friends was suffering or was hung over the whole time, they would have felt some responsibility to have been less hung over if she was going in face to face. Yeah. You have commitments, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Claire, the student we spoke to earlier, says with nowhere to go and no one to see, the students around her have been taking more and more drugs. Maybe the smoking of weed is more common. People sometimes do that during the day, I guess, to sort of pass the time, maybe. I think probably if they'd been going out more, they wouldn't have been doing that. If you go to a club, they check you as you go in the door, so you wouldn't really be able to bring anything in with you. Whereas now you're night out in the accommodation, you can obviously do pretty much whatever you want. And that's what's so alarming. It's not just that drug use is increasing, it's the way that drugs are used that are causing just as much concern. I think that the worry, and from the experts that I've spoken with, the worry is 
less the numbers and more the attitude towards it. Mm. So if you take drugs for recreational purposes, like to bond with your friends or enjoy music, it's dangerous, obviously, but psychologically it's okay because it's scheduled. There are boundaries around it. Consider a student who takes drugs once a week on a Friday when they go out to a club with friends. Experts have told Megan that this sort of drug use is more manageable. You do it in a specific place and you don't do it elsewhere. What's happened now at universities, which is what people are worried about, is that the reasons behind people taking drugs have changed into more negative reasons, i.e. to numb pain, to distract themselves from boredom, to escape. Once you start using it as a crutch, it's really difficult to reverse that relationship. And that makes them much more liable to dependence once it escapes from the confines of a specific place at a specific time and becomes on your sofa, in your living room, on a Tuesday night, on a Tuesday afternoon. That's when it becomes more dangerous. I think there's definitely a mix. I would say it was primarily recreational, but I could think of a few people that I would know were probably having a slightly unhealthy relationship with drugs and were taking it, especially if you're smoking weed during the day. You're not really doing it necessarily because you want to have a bit of fun, but you're more doing it because it's a an escape and a distraction and something to, literally just to occupy you. Coming up... How are universities reacting to the rise in student drug taking? But first, here's a message from a colleague. Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerens, Associate Editor of The Times magazine. By listening in, you make it possible for me to bring you exclusive stories that you won't get anywhere else. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. The reasons why students coping with lockdown are increasingly turning to drugs may seem quite particular to the pandemic era, but it's part of a wider trend in the rise of drug use amongst young people. Since about 2012, 2013, drug taking among 16 to 24-year-olds has risen again, having dropped sort of from around the millennium till then. So since 2013, drug taking among that age group has gone up by 28%. It is still the minority, though. It is worth emphasising. So the numbers are going up again, and people aren't really too sure why. The ONS says that 36% of 16 to 24-year-olds have taken an illegal drug. But other surveys, which are supposedly more reliable because young people are more honest, say higher numbers. So the children of the 90s, which is a big study by Bristol University, puts it at 63%. 
and the National Union of Students puts it at 56%. Whilst we don't have numbers specifically for the last lockdown, we do have some indication of a change in the reasons why people are taking drugs. At university, students, I think 25% in 2019 said that they were taking drugs to escape reality. And in November of 2020, that was 43%. So we know that they're taking them for more negative reasons. We also know there's been an increase in depressant drugs. So that includes Xanax, alcohol, Valium, cannabis. And that, again, is quite worrying because you're more likely to become dependent on depressant drugs than stimulants. I mean, are there people there who you think probably wouldn't have taken drugs if it wasn't for the fact that they were stuck in lockdown in halls? or who wouldn't have taken drugs as frequently as they now are? Yeah, I definitely think that is the case. There are people who probably wouldn't have taken it, and we do just spend a lot more time in the accommodation, so there's a lot more, you see it a lot more, and maybe you'll see it and you'll think, oh, maybe I'll do that, whereas you wouldn't see that out and about in the city. And with with so many people taking drugs much more frequently than they would have done otherwise, do, do you worry that any of them are sort of, you know, has it become habit-forming? Definitely. I mean, I have a close friend who had never touched drugs before coming to university and is now kind of picking up on a weekly or every other weekly basis. And it, it is worrying. And I, and I have multiple friends who I would say that have a habit of doing it. And even if they know or they think they know what they're doing, there's, there's always a concern because there can always be a bad batch of a drug and it can always go wrong. Given how public it seems to be, given that people are putting up signs in their kitchen saying, send cannabis, are universities aware of the rising problem and what are they doing about it? It's a total variation on how universities react. I think Bristol and the University of the West of England, which is also in Bristol, and Manchester are doing a really good job at harm reduction. A lot of awareness about it. I think that there's talks that talks that you can go to about kind of educating you about it. I think that the support would be there if you needed it, but I just think that the students kind of just phase that out and just are going to do what they want to do. Um, in terms of kind of the policing of it, I mean, there's kind of searching rooms and doing things like that. When I was working on this story, the thing that really struck me was that A zero tolerance approach, which is what some universities take, telling kids not to do it, does not work. They will continue to do it. I mean, which universities are using a zero tolerance approach and how is it sort of implemented and why doesn't it work? I know Exeter has a zero tolerance approach, as does Warwick. The University of Buckingham says that they're aiming for zero drugs on campus entirely. Wow. Zero tolerance doesn't work in the same way as the abstinence approach to sex ed doesn't work. We've accepted the abstinence. Telling kids not to have sex doesn't stop them having sex. It's the same with drugs. The thing that came up again and again with my conversations with experts was that if you scaremonger, if you exaggerate the impact of drugs and the dangers of drugs and say that everyone that takes drugs is going to either die or become an addict, 
then the first time that they see somebody around them taking drugs and realize that drugs don't make you die and don't make you become an addict, they will ignore that advice completely and they will discount you as being a reliable source of information. And if there's a zero tolerance approach, if you think, you know, you could lose your place at university if you're caught with drugs or under the influence of drugs, does it also take away safe places? You know, if if anything goes wrong, are you less likely to seek help? Totally. And I think the most moving conversation that I had through all of this was with Fiona Spargo-Mabs, whose son died when he was a teenager of an ecstasy overdose. And his friends, who were also teenagers, delayed calling an ambulance but because they were terrified of getting in trouble. And she now does drugs education. And what I learned from her was that parents, teachers, friends just have to establish a relationship with teenagers where they feel safe to pick up the phone should they be in trouble. The zero tolerance punishment-based approach means that a lot of these young people aren't doing that. And it Mm. also means that they're not scrutinising their own drug taking because they know that it's not allowed, they know they shouldn't be doing it, And so there's no space for them to talk about it or think about it in a more complex way. One charity called In The Loop is trying to open up a space for conversations without judgment. They offer to test drugs for students to make sure they're not taking corrupted substances. The key part of it is that in order for the students to collect their drugs, they have to have a 10-minute conversation with one of the professionals. So they have a one-on-one talk about how they intend to take the drugs, why they intend to take them, why they've taken them in the past, how they feel emotionally, how drugs make them feel afterwards. And often it's the first time that these young people have ever spoken about it. And often it leads to them seeking help or starting CBT or having a moment of self-reflection in which they're allowed to explore their relationship with drugs and whether it's changed. And that's the really crucial part of it. And, And I mean, the rise that you've described does sound really alarming. What are the long term effects of of this increase in sort of drug taking how do we think it might affect this generation this pandemic generation going through university now no one really knows what they are anticipating is that either people will have been doing no drugs at all over lockdown because they were with their parents mm. so released into the real world back at festivals their tolerance would have got worse They're going to be binging when they shouldn't be binging and they potentially could get it wrong. Or people who have been in halls or student accommodation might have changed their relationship with drugs over lockdown and become more dependent on them. And if they have become more dependent, that could have a lasting effect long after lockdowns are a dim and distant memory. Is this rise in drug taking one of the more unexpected side effects of the pandemic? 
I think that nobody knew what was going to happen to students. Mm. And last September, last summer, people were really hopeful that they'd have a normal year. We were all pretty lulled into sort of a full sense of normalcy. And then they turned up and it wasn't normal at all. It wasn't even close to normal. They were in a totally new environment with people that they didn't know without communal spaces. The rest of us generally were in the same home that we've made with people who often love us and know us pretty well. And we have living rooms and TVs and kitchens and maybe a garden. And they were really properly in their bedroom, not knowing who was either side of them and having nowhere to go to meet people. It just fills me with terror, the thought of being an 18-year-old in that position. I, I I can't quite believe they all went through it. I mean, we don't really know how soon life will return to normal for students. You know, there is a chance that actually this is accelerated change that might have been coming anyway. When they go back, even in the next academic year, they might still have a lot of online learning. How much do you think that'll impact their behaviour? There is such mixed response to the part online learning and the part face-to-face. I think the thing that is slightly worrying is is the universities distancing themselves from pastoral responsibility. Hmm. For the last few years, in certain court cases and mental health cases or in, in some suicide cases, universities have argued that they're an education provider rather than a wellbeing service or a body that has pastoral responsibility. The thing about distancing academia from students face to face it is quite worrying because there'll just be fewer overlaps there'll be fewer safeguarding moments and it's a tricky one because they are academic institutions but their responsibilities are changing and they are needing to become more pastoral. If the rise in drug taking was the effect of lockdown on students How are they responding now that the restrictions have eased and bars and pubs are open again? Here's Claire again at Bristol University. On a small scale, because it's only been a few weeks, but I know a few people that probably haven't picked up drugs in the last few weeks. From what I can see, that there has probably been a bit of a decrease, but I, I know that it's definitely still happening. And I know that probably since we'll have kind of taken that into their routine of an evening they probably will be doing it again at some point but right now there's just a bit of something new to be excited about. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me Mandreen Rana and my guests Sunday Times magazine writer and commissioning editor Megan Agnew and a student who we've agreed to call Claire. You can read more of Megan's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producer today was Edward Drummond, who's also been waiting for the long lockdown to end and is now spending the weekend getting married. We wish them both the very best. The executive producers today were Asia Fuchs and James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. 
If there's a, a story you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, please do get in touch. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Have a lovely weekend, however you're spending it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.